20 square box. Blocks. Blocks. 20 square blocks. Twenty square. Welcome to 20 Square Blocks, the versatile podcast that covers a wide range of fascinating topics. In this episode, we shift our focus to the captivating world of artificial intelligence, and we are honored to have Professor Peter Vampu, a distinguished expert in AI, as our guest. Join us as we embark on an enlightening journey exploring the frontiers of AI research, its impact on society and the profound ethical considerations that arise in this ever-evolving field. My name is Peter Vamplu. I'm a professor in information technology at Federation University's Mount Helen campus here in Ballarat, uh, and I do research into artificial intelligence. Okay. Are we going to die? Well, hopefully not. Um, if we do, we as a society have made some very bad decisions about how we've actually deployed artificial intelligence. We've all seen Terminator, we've all seen Skynet, we're going to head there, aren't we? I mean, the, the closest we're likely to get to the Terminator type scenario is if we start developing AI robots for war purposes. Yeah, you're right. That, that probably won't happen because when do we ever use any inventions for war? Yeah, exactly. And we, we've already seen it in the, the Ukraine conflict. We have um, drones being used. Now, for the moment, they're still yeah. under human control. But there's certainly there's companies out there who have developed fully autonomous drone systems with lethal capabilities. Well, it seems that every time you allow humans to look after something or do something, it gets out of control. Yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the closest analogy perhaps is nuclear weapons. Um, and we only managed to set them off, what, twice? Of course, you know, we still have the risk of nuclear warfare. It's, yeah. it's not gone away. Um, yeah. We've managed to control it somewhat through political processes. And, and that's probably what's going to have to happen with you know, defense applications of AI at some point as well. Is just a, you know, an agreement amongst countries that we're not going to go down that pathway. So you do IT? Yes. Right, you're teaching IT. And now it seems to be all about AI, is that correct? Uh, certainly not all about it. I mean, in terms of teaching side of things, you know, all the, the old things like programming and databases mm-hmm. and, and so on still exist. Um, although admittedly programming is probably under threat from AI at the moment. That's yeah. one of the areas where they've really had some breakthroughs in the last year or so in terms of uh, AI systems that can write code for you and or at least help you assist, you know, assist you with that process. So all the truck drivers that were told that were going to lose their jobs, go learn to code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was probably not the greatest piece of advice. Um, the risk at the moment is actually probably more white-collar roles. Oh, my God. AI is getting much better at working with uh, information rather than the physical yeah. world. The physical world has a lot more variety to it. It's less controlled. So you're know, building a, uh, an autonomous vehicle that can drive itself turns out to be a lot harder than people thought it was going to be a few years ago. Whereas we've seen these massive breakthroughs in the last two years in terms of AI's capability to process and generate language. You know, so writing is probably one of the areas that's really under threat at the moment. Even creative writing, you know, to an extent. We all know about artificial intelligence that can actually write essays and, and, and short stories. I've certainly got it to do some poems. I said, write me a, a five-line poem about Horsham. First, actually, it did one about the Horsham in England, but when I told it Victoria, it, it, it wrote quite a charming little poem. 
Yep. Yeah, and no, I've done some similar experiments. Um, where I've seen people criticizing the current systems is that because of the way they're trained, they tend to give relatively bland responses to the prompt. So if you ask it, tell me a story mm-hmm. set in a fantasy world, you'll get something pretty generic about, you know, a brave knight going out and defeating a dragon and bringing back treasure or whatever, that there's unlikely to be anything particularly remarkable. But if you can find the right prompts to, yeah. to encourage it to be more creative. Uh, I mean, we were experimenting last year uh, with exam questions, just checking, would this be a problem? If I gave my exam from last year to chat GPT, how well would it do? Um, and the answer was, you know, really good. <laughs> so after a while, get a little bit more creative. Can I hide a piece of text in the prompt that a student might not see and they might copy and paste and get a strange response back afterwards? And so eventually I got to the point where I just prompted it to, you know, here's the question, give me a ludicrous answer. Uh, and so I was asking something about, you know, how would you go about uh, rotating a, a 3D object in a computer graphics system using matrix multiplication? Yeah, it's a simple question. But then asking for a ludicrous answer. And you know, it came back with this incredible thing about, uh, first thing you need to do is to summon this medieval demon that specializes in the rotation of objects. Uh, and the matrix to do that is 666, 666, etc., etc. And it you know, continued on with this theme and kept that consistent theme of kind of, you know, demonology through the entire answer. Um, and to me, that felt genuinely creative. There was nothing in my prompt that said, I want an answer that relates to this particular thing. Just telling it to be ludicrous had done it. But how does it understand? Well, that's the thing. It doesn't understand at a, a sort of deeper philosophical level. All it's really doing is saying, based on the words you've given me as a prompt and what I've written so far, what is the most probable next word? And it just turns out that that sort of model of language mm-hmm. implicitly captures yeah. a lot of, you know, common sense and so on that, that you know gives the impression to us that this is has a much deeper understanding than it actually does of course it's going to get better and better yes and it's going to feel more and more like a conscience and something you're speaking to people are already treating it that way yeah um, companies had developed virtual companions you know they were designed specifically for chatting to yeah like the movie her yep that sort of thing and uh it wasn't directly intended, but people were actually starting to have, you know, sexual conversations with these agents. Uh, and the company decided, look, this isn't what we want, <laughs> and actually put filters in place to prevent it from happening. And there was this huge uproar from their community. I'm talking to my my friend, my companion now, yeah, and it's like they're brain damaged. They're not the same person. They're not the same personality anymore because of this filter you've put on it. The AI isn't the same. Isn't the same. That's right. Uh, and they were saying, you know, they were genuinely feeling the sense of loss that you would have from losing a, a friend. Of course, yep. Because these systems communicate in a human-like way, we have this tendency to attribute human characteristics like emotion and so on to them. Uh, and that's one of the risks of these systems is that people are treating them as being more powerful, more understanding of the situation than they actually are in practice. I mean, we've seen this in the past, even without the sort of level of intelligence we have now. If you go back when Sony developed their ABO robot dog back in the yeah. 90s, yeah. now Sony stopped supporting these machines after a while. And so eventually, you know, spare parts weren't available. Uh, and it got to the point when eventually someone couldn't maintain their, their robot anymore. They were actually arranging funerals for them. 
And so they'd formed a genuine emotional connection with this device. And that's without being able to talk to it. You can imagine now that you're talking to something and you know, having what feels like a normal conversation with it, that the emotional connection is just going to be you know, even stronger. I was sort of thinking, which job's really going to be safe, like in another X amount of years, when we do develop things that can actually do physical tasks as well? And I think priest was the only job that I actually came up with. Yeah, I wonder, because, I mean, if you look at the sort of interactions people have with these devices, it, in many cases, they start using it almost as a, uh, an analyst or a counsellor. Yep. People are asking for advice, for example. Um, you know, in some ways, that was the role of the priest. I, I can see people treating this as a confessional of sorts. All right, so they're not even safe. Possibly not, no. Can you think of any sort of industry where you think, oh, they're fairly safe? <sighs> Look, it's hard to say because, um, you know, a year ago, you probably would have said some of the more creative industries. Um, but now, you know, we've got AI art. We're getting systems that can take text and generate video from them. Um, you know, some mm. of those creative industries are actually under threat at the moment. Not just because I'm in the creative area, but should we stop this? It's a very serious question. It's something that you know, society has to, to think about. I mean, one of the holy grails of, of AI, the, the promise was always there, was that the robots will come along and they'll do all the boring, dangerous, dirty jobs that we don't want to do. And everyone will be free to live their best life, to be creative, to do artwork, etc., etc. We seem to almost have the, the reverse happening at the moment, that the AI systems are doing the interesting stuff and maybe we're going to be left, you know, picking up garbage cans and so on. It, once we get to them to a point where we, they can actually pick up garbage cans, then we don't need that either. Even things like, I don't even think we need politicians anymore once we get to that point, because I'd rather trust something where they're not going to lie, they're going to give you the best model for things and this is what we intend to do and this is the intended outcome i i think we'd be more safer with ai running the country yeah although there is the question of you know who develops the ai because there's no particular reason it's going to tell you the truth these they aren't motivated to give you correct information what they give you is the most probable set of words that would follow this I'm going to ask you about singularity, but if you could give me a very, very small description of what that is. Okay, so the singularity is a concept that's saying once we get to a certain point, once the AI becomes as smart as us or smarter, it can then start to discover new knowledge for itself. It can improve itself and get even smarter again. Uh, and essentially, we're going to get this exponential spike in the rate at which new knowledge is being discovered. I mean, potentially amazing. Uh, all the, the huge problems facing humanity, um, you know, cures for cancer, solving world peace, et cetera, et cetera. We might finally have the answers to those questions. Oh, good. The issue will be, will we understand any of this? Oh, damn. Once these systems are smarter than we are, can we actually still control them? Can we use the information that they're producing or, or will they ultimately wind up in control of us? Do you think we'll see that in your lifetime? Singularity. 
It is very hard to predict. I mean, the but would you predict that we'd be where we are right now? No, a year ago. No, for the last ten years, I keep finding myself saying, "Well, I didn't think that was going to happen for another ten years." Yeah, and so now you start to think, "Well, some of these outlandish, extreme." possible projections of the future maybe they're not so outlandish after all perhaps these things are going to happen do you remember the sweet old days of 2017 we didn't expect any of this stuff yeah well i remember 2014 i think was the first year where i remember seeing a paper and just going i didn't expect that anytime soon and that was an ai learning to play space invaders because that was such a jump you know from what we were capable of six months before to what that system was doing Whenever something happened in the game and they, they got a score for it, they would be aware of that. Over time, they pick up the patterns of, okay, shooting now is a good idea because that will get me 20 points. And you know, ultimately learn to play the game at superhuman level. To where we are now is just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and it's, the speed of improvement is accelerating. I'm concerned, perhaps is the right word, that this will sneak up on us. I think it already has. Oh, now you've done it. What are you saying? Well, as an academic, we didn't see things like ChatGPT coming. Everyone thought, okay, we're heading in that direction, but we've got time up our sleeves. That's not going to come up anytime soon. What has changed, you know, this last decade is that it used to be that most of the research happened at universities and research institutions. Yeah. And once we discovered something and got it working, then industry might adopt it. What's happened now is the majority of the real big breakthroughs in AI in this last decade have come out of the, the big tech industry labs. You know, Google DeepMind, Facebook slash Meta, um, OpenAI being one of the big ones in recent years. Uh, they've got resources we just don't have. They've got people power we don't have. They've got sources of data that we don't have. And they are just pushing ahead with these systems as fast as they can. There's a real arms race going on in the tech industry at the moment. And I think that's where some of the risks come from, that they are pushing out these models like ChatGPT and right. you know, the new Bing that uh, Microsoft rolled out with very little thought as to what the impact is actually going to be on society. Because you know, ultimately that's not what they care about. They're, they're profit-driven. What's the new Bing? What's a- uh, They basically... Well, they, they took ChatGPT and merged that back into Bing. So the idea is it's now a AI search engine. So you can ask it questions in, in just normal language. It will go off and it will find sources online and it will format the information together and give you a you know, beautiful written reply. They will give you an answer that looks plausible, but might actually be completely fictitious. So I asked it, you know, can you tell me about the main papers that are published in my particular area of research and it brought back a list of about five papers and the the titles looked reasonable the authors looked reasonable in a couple of cases they even had me listed but then i look at this paper and go i've not written a paper called that uh, it was just making up things that looked right that weren't actually true and uh neil gaiman the fantasy author had, had a quote the other week which i really liked he says you know the problem with these systems is they don't give you information they give you information-shaped sentences. So it looks like it's reliable information, but in many cases it's not. For now. For now. Um, but in general, there's an issue with the way these systems are built, that they're not designed to produce the truth. Yeah. We're going to have to go back and work out how to, to modify them. 
Um, and at the moment, you know, there's the companies that are building these systems aren't necessarily incentivized to make a system that produces the truth. So all we have to do is get to a point where it is able to produce improvements to itself. Yep. And we're done. <laughs> I mean, we've already seen some early signs of that. Um, they've applied these AI systems to improve the design of the hardware that they're using to train them. So theoretically, now you can train that same system twice as fast as you could have previously. What happens if you could actually get the AI to fix some of the problems we have today, to, to actually sort out some of the environmental challenges we have? That's the reason that I wanted to be an AI researcher, was that thinking that maybe this thing can solve some of those wicked problems that we haven't been able to solve for us. And absolutely, we're making great progress on that. Uh, Google DeepMind built the, a system that can essentially handle uh, the protein folding problem, which has defied biologists for 20, 30 years. Um, and apparently that, that's going to revolutionize medicine. So there are certainly upsides to AI as well. And I, I don't want to come across overly critical of AI systems. I, I still think AI ultimately will be much more beneficial to humanity than it won't be. Exactly. And it will come here whether you want it or not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's here. But what we need to do as a society, and this probably means politically, this needs to be regulated. We're at the point now where it is starting to pose a threat. We've seen it in the past when um, things like gene technology were first discovered. There was international regulations put in place to say that certain types of research will not be carried out because we just don't think they're ethical. We think they're, they're too risky. So hopefully you know, we can get similar sort of things happening in AI and take some of those decisions out of the hands of the big companies. This technology is so powerful, we can't just leave it to the market to decide. We're starting to see already what's happening with that, you know, with this arms race amongst the, the big tech companies to, to roll out bigger and better language models with, I think, relatively little thought about what the implication is going to be. And so society, and by that I guess I mean our politicians, need to step in and start taking control of these systems so that we can make sure that the, the benefits of AI, and there are certainly are benefits, we need to make sure that those accrue to, to everyone. Thanks for listening to 20 Square Blocks. If you like the show, do the things that podcasts ask you to do. Subscribe, like, review, and most importantly, tell someone you know. Thanks to my guest, Professor Peter Van Blue, who is 10 blocks to the south of me. Theme song by Ryan Goodwin. Check out his other music at virtuallyryan.com. Additional materials written by Anne Murison. Editing by the AI Ricky Cheno. And thanks to H Studios for the use of their studios. I am certainly the real Ben Plaza, and this is the 20 Square Blocks podcast.